Welcome to Choice Classic Radio. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and help keep this show alive by donating at choiceclassicradio.com. For more of your favorite old-time radio shows, join us on our companion podcast, Choice Classic Radio Mystery, Suspense, Dramas, and Horrors, where we bring to you the most mysterious tales that the golden age of radio had to offer. And now, with 326 episodes made, broadcasting from 1939 to 1950, we bring to you The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo present The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. Now for our weekly visit to the famous chronicler of Sherlock Holmes, our good friend, Dr. Watson. Well, Dr. Watson, how are you this evening? Oh, in the best of spirits, Mr. Bell. Thank you, and you? Never better, thank you. And am I correct in deducing that that faded old newspaper lying upon your desk has something to do with the story you're going to you tell us tonight? You are indeed, Mr. Bell. Here you are. The London Times of September the 4th, 1903. Take a look at this. Hmm. Judges summing up to jury interrupted. Sensational solution by Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Yes, I think that you will find it equally sensational, Mr. Bell. It was one of Holmes's most dramatic cases. But, uh, first you want a word with our listeners. Go ahead, well... Well, I light up the pipe. Thank you, Dr. Watson. Men, in summer when you go without your hat, does your hair get dry, wild, and unruly looking? After a swim, does it feel sticky and stringy? Then remember, Cremel Hair Tonic keeps dry, wild, sun-baked hair looking perfectly groomed throughout the hottest, stickiest day, as if your barber had just combed it. You see, Cremel contains a special combination of hair-grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. This wonderful, natural-looking hairdressing has just enough light oil to keep hair neatly groomed with an attractive, healthy-looking luster. Yet Kreml never leaves the hair looking or feeling greasy or sticky. Kreml always looks and feels so clean on both hair and scalp. It leaves the scalp feeling so cool, so refreshed and alive. Be sure to try it, men. K-R-E-M-L. Kreml Hair Tonic. And now that I see you've got your pipe drawing to your satisfaction, Dr. Watson... How about the story you promised? Well, Holmes and I had just returned from a long-anticipated holiday in Scotland. Mrs. Hudson greeted us with the news that a lady was at that moment awaiting us in our rooms. And as we opened the door... Oh, Mr. Holmes, at last, thank heaven. I beg your pardon. You must save him. He didn't do it. I know he didn't. And they'll hang him. They'll hang him. No one in the world but you can help him now. Now, my dear madam, you must control yourself. I can't possibly help you until I know your problem. Oh, you... You must excuse me. Uh, here, 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 my dear. You, you drink this. It'll, it'll make you feel better. Oh, thank you. I've been waiting for you, Mr. Holmes, praying for your return for days. You left no forwarding address. I know. Dr. Watson and I had promised ourselves a real holiday. I meet at Fairmont. Evidently, that name means nothing to you. You haven't seen the newspapers? No, not for four weeks, thank him. Compose yourself, madam, and tell us what has brought you here. And remember that we know nothing beyond the obvious facts that you are in great distress and uh, from your peril recently widowed. Well, I... I shall try to give you a clear account, Mr. Holmes. You're my one remaining hope. Some 
Ten years ago, I married Augustus Fairmont. A marriage which, I frankly admit, was forwarded more by my parents than by any wishes of mine. I was then only 18. Augustus was more than 20 years older than I. He was a diamond importer, and a very successful one. Our marriage was perhaps not an ideally happy one. But for ten years, I... I did my best to be a good wife to Augustus. Now, 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 my dear. Just, just uh, take please it easy, continue, Mrs. Fairmont. About a year ago, my husband took into partnership with him a young man of 32, Charles Rossiter. During the ensuing months, Charles and I fell in love, Mr. Holmes. But I assure you that both my self-respect and Charles's high sense of honor kept us from anything more than a declaration of that love. Oh, I beg you to believe that I'm telling you the entire truth. I'm sure you realize, Mrs. Fairmont, that that is the only thing to do. Yes, of course, of course. Charles wanted to discuss our problem with my husband, but I persuaded him to let me approach Augustus. But the result was as I had anticipated. Afterward, I met Charles for tea, as we'd agreed, to tell him what had happened. Edith, my dear... I thought you'd never get here. Oh, it was difficult, Charles. Even more difficult than we expected. I... I hate to tell you this, my dearest. You don't have to tell me. I knew as soon as I saw you. Augustus refused even to discuss the possibility of giving me a divorce. You know how violent his temper is. He... he really frightened me. I wish you'd let me speak to him. Oh, I'm glad I didn't. His hatred for you is great enough as it is. But how can he want to hold you tight to him in marriage knowing that you love me... I should think that any decent Evidently, man... you don't know Augustus very well. He has an almost abnormal sense of possession. Whatever belongs to him, he'll keep, no matter what the cost. Very well, then. You've tried to do the right thing. Since he won't give you a divorce, there's only one thing left. Leave him. You and I will go to America or the continent and make a new life there for ourselves. I can't, Charles. You know that I love you, but we could never find happiness in that sort of life. I want to be your wife, Charles, to have children. And since that's denied us, we must stop seeing each other. I shall always love you, dear. Edith, you can't go out of my life like that. There's no other way. Goodbye, my darling. That was the last meeting I had with Charles, Mr. Holmes. I see. Go on, Mrs. Fairmont. Well, my husband and Charles were, under the circumstances, equally anxious to dissolve their partnership. They agreed to make a final trip to Amsterdam to complete a transaction which they'd previously arranged, after which the business was to be dissolved. Uh, how long ago was this? A little more than a month ago. The day before they left, my husband, telling me that he was unable to find the revolver which he always carried when transporting valuable shipments of diamonds, asked me to buy him a new one. I did so, and he took it with him when he sailed. Two days later, having completed their business in Amsterdam, Charles and my husband started back to England aboard the night boat from Flushing. My husband had with him over 10,000 pounds worth of unset diamonds which they'd purchased. I assume, Mrs. Fairmont, that this part of your narrative is all uh, hearsay. What I'm telling you now, I've learned from the police. Charles and my husband had adjoining cabins on the boat. It was a foggy night in the North Sea, and about midnight... A German gentleman in the cabin adjoining my husband's on the other side from Charles's heard the sounds of a violent quarrel between Charles and Augustus. Yes, 
Stuart. Stuart. Yes, Mr. Smith? What can I do for you? Listen to that bellowing in there. Is this a cattle boat? How can I sleep with such a bear? Look, the noise going on. Oh, I'm very sorry, sir. The, the gentleman do seem a bit agitated, like. I'll knock on the door. I'm sorry, sir, but there's been a complaint from some of the passengers regarding the noise. Oh, all right. There you are, Mr. Smith. If there's any more disturbance, just ring for me. If there's any more disturbance, I go to the captain. For an hour now, I have been trying to get to sleep. Oh, what was that? That was a shot, you dumb cop. Come. It's locked. Well, break it down. Oh, good Davies. That man is dead. Dead as a doornail. It's Augustus. What's happened? You ask what has happened? With that man dead on the floor and you in the doorway between your cabins? Here, Stuart, get the captain. I'll watch this murderer until you come back. There, 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 Mrs. Fairmont. I can understand what a strain it must be for you to tell all this. Uh, let me get you some aromatic... Oh, I, I'm all right, Dr. Watson. Thank you. Your husband had died instantly, Mrs. Fairmont? So the police said, Mr. Holmes. Apparently the revolver had been fired at very close range, directly into his head. They said he must have fallen dead on the instant. And the revolver? Well, it was gone, Mr. Holmes. The porthole which gave onto the sea was wide open. The police, of course, say that Charles threw the revolver out of the porthole after shooting Augustus. The bullet was a thirty-two caliber, the same as the one I had purchased at my husband's request. And uh, what has Mr. Charles Rossiter to say? Well, what is there for him to say? Oh, quiet, Watson. Oh, I don't blame you for thinking that Charles is guilty, Dr. Watson. Everyone in the world thinks so. But I know that he isn't. He's sworn to me that it's a complete mystery to him, and I believe him. If I didn't believe him, there'd be nothing left to live for. The police arrested him, of course. Oh, naturally. He... He goes to trial at the Old Bailey tomorrow. Oh, Mr. Holmes, you must save him. You must. You're my only hope. No one else can do it. Say that you will. I cannot promise that, Mrs. Fairmont. I'll uh, undertake the case, but you must understand that anything I discover, even though it may be evidence damning to Mr. Rossiter, will be turned over to the police. That's all I ask. I know he's innocent, and I have faith that you'll prove it. I beg you not to indulge in any false hopes, Mrs. Fairmont. I shall do my best to uncover the truth, but we have little time at our disposal. You omitted to mention what had happened to the diamonds. Were they found on your husband's person? Oh, I, I almost forgot. They seemed so unimportant. The diamonds were missing, Mr. Holmes. Huh? Missing? Oh. How do you count for that? The police think that Charles was going to steal them, and that suddenly realizing the impossibility of the idea, he threw both them and the revolver out of the porthole. Odd. Well, with the trial starting tomorrow, Mrs. Fairmont, Watson and I have much to do. Our first task must be a complete examination of the police records of the case. I know you'll excuse us if we hurry off, Mrs. Fairmont. Our first call must be on Mr. Charles Rossiter in prison. And as heaven's my witness, Mr. Holmes, I've told you and Dr. Watson everything I know. You say that you and your late partner had taken out business insurance on each other's lives? Yes, Mr. Holmes, to the extent of uh, 25,000 pounds apiece. 25,000 pounds apiece? I say that makes it look even worse, Holmes, huh? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, one more question, Mr. Rossiter. 
After the quarrel on the boat, when the steward had knocked and requested silence, you went back into your own cabin. Is that correct? It is, Mr. Holmes. And according to you, you heard the sound of a shot from Fairmont's cabin a moment later. How much time would you say had elapsed? Oh, a very short interval, not, not more than 15 seconds at the outside. Thank you. Well, Mr. Rossiter, I'll do what I can, but... Uh... Oh, I know it's hopeless. I wouldn't believe the story myself if I heard it from someone else. Tell me, Dr. Watson, you're a medical man. Could I conceivably have had a lapse of memory? Could I have shot Fairmont without knowing anything about it? Well, it seems to me almost inconceivable. I never heard of a case of amnesia or loss of memory that began and ended all in the space of a couple of minutes. Well, come on, Watson. We must be going. Mr. Holmes, do, do you think there's any chance? Keep up your courage, Mr. Rossiter. There's always a chance. Uh, water. Holmes, I grant you that Mrs. Fairman's a lovely woman and that young Rossiter had a lot of provocation. But why did you tell him that there was a chance? It hardly seems cricket to me. I told him that there was a chance, Watson, for the excellent reason that there is. Chance of what? Of acquitting Rossiter of a crime which he very obviously did not commit. What do you mean to say? Come that along, I... Watson. We have no time to stand about arguing. Rossiter's trial opens tomorrow morning. And if we're to secure the evidence we need, you and I have our work cut out for us. Evidence? Evidence of what? Evidence to convince a jury. The sequence of events is obvious, but it'll require a continuous chain of proof to convince a jury of Rossiter's innocence. Innocence? <laughs> On my soul, Holmes, I think you must be mad. Prosecution has an absolutely clear-cut case. And you go on practicing about Rossiter's innocence. If Rossiter didn't shoot Augustus Fairmont, somebody must have. Somebody did, Watson. And a devilishly clever plot he invented, too. But if we are to save Rossiter from hanging, it's up to us to prove it. In just a moment, we'll find out if Sherlock Holmes is able to prove it. Men, on hot, sticky summer days, your hair needs extra special care. And when you buy a hair tonic, why not buy one that does lots more than keep your hair looking handsome? Why not get your money's worth and keep and buy Kremel hair tonic? No other hair tonic keeps the hair more neatly groomed and attractive looking. Kremel gives hair such a handsome, clean-cut appearance. It keeps the hair perfectly groomed throughout the hottest, stickiest day. It never looks or feels greasy or sticky. In addition, Kremel is simply great to lubricate a dry scalp. At the same time, it removes itchy, loose dandruff. And leaves the hair, the scalp, feeling so clean, refreshed, and alive. No wonder Kremel is preferred among America's most prosperous men. Buy a bottle of Kremel at any drug counter. Ask for an application at your barber shop. Use this highly specialized hair tonic daily for better groomed hair and more hygienic scalp. K-R-E-M-L, Kremel hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson... What steps did you and Sherlock Holmes take next to prove Rossiter's innocence? Well, Holmes and I hurried to the offices of Fairmont and Rossiter in Hatton Gardens. Assisted by Fairmont's chief clerk, a little dried-up wisp of a man, we spent the next hour in an intensive study of Fairmont's old checkbook stuff. There's no question of it, Watson. These regular payments, month after month, to Mademoiselle Elaine Dufour can only mean one thing. Oh, I don't see why. She might have been an old nurse of his or something. Really, Watson. Huh? One does not pay one's old nurse 50 pounds a month over a period of years. Oh, perhaps you're right. Thank heaven we found Mademoiselle Dufour's address. Why? Because you're leaving for Paris tonight. 
Huh? And I want you to bring back Mademoiselle Defoe no matter what means you use to persuade her. Oh, really, Holmes? What are you going to do? I'm be doing well while I'm off on this, on this wild goose chase. Huh? I have a few things to look uh, into, Watson. Quite a few things. And you performed the post-mortem yourself, Dr. McPherson? I did, Mr. Holmes. And I'm prepared to state my professional reputation that Augustus Fairmont would have been dead within a year, no matter what had been done. That disease had progressed too far for surgeries to have been any use whatsoever. You uh, told the police this, of course. Oh, naturally. They weren't interested. All they cared about was the bullet which finished the fellow off. <laughs> Of course, you understand, Mr. Holmes, that after the police had finished, this cabin was all straightened up. New carpet on the floor, everything ship-shaped. Right. And uh, Mr. Fairmont's body was lying right here. Is that right, Stuart? It was indeed, sir. And a fair turn he'd given me, with half his head blown off. And uh, this cabin and the adjoining one, occupied by Mr. Rossiter, are identical in every way? Yes, sir. Ah. I'd hoped to find something like this. What was it, sir? Take a good look at this, Stuart. I may need your evidence in court. This uh, rather deep nick here in the lower part of the brass rim of the porthole. Oh, I see the nick all right, sir, but I'm blasted if I can make it. Just tell me one thing. After the tragedy, was any heavy object missing from Mr. Fairmont's cabin? Uh, Something heavy, but uh, fairly small? That's a queer thing, sir, now that you come to mention it. I reported to the chief steward that the heavy glass water bottle was gone when the police let me straighten up the cabin. But I didn't think nothing of it at the time, except that maybe it got smashed in all the confusion. Thank you, Steward. Thank you very much indeed. And you asked me to come back to England with you, Dr. Watson? Yeah, I do indeed, Mademoiselle Dufour. To go into court and tell everything? I know nothing about your English laws. Perhaps I render myself liable to prosecution. All this for the sake of a man who I have never seen. Not only for his sake, mademoiselle, but also for the sake of the woman who loves him. And, most important of all, for the sake of right and justice. To save a man from hanging for a crime that he did not commit. There's no way in which I can force you to come with me. I can only most earnestly beg you to do what we both know is the right thing. And in the final analysis, members of the jury, I must remind you that the decision as to Charles Rossiter's guilt or innocence rests solely with you. Under the law, my province as judge is merely to assist you in reaching a just verdict. And this I have endeavored to do by summing up for you the evidence to which we have been listening during these last three days. The prosecution has endeavored to prove to you that this man, who has not denied his love for Mrs. Fairmont, knew that they could never be together so long as her husband should live. You have heard the evidence of their quarrel on the boat, of the shooting and of the scene found by Mr. Schmidt, the steward, and the other witnesses when the door to the cabin was broken down. 
You have heard the suggestion of premeditation in the purchase of the weapon by Mrs. Fairmont. A weapon which, though missing, was of identical caliber with the bullet which killed her husband. You have heard the prisoner's protestations of innocence and his own inability to offer any logical explanation of the tragedy. Under these circumstances, it... Blood, I beg leave to interrupt. Well, Sir Aubrey? What is it you want to say? During the entire trial, my lad, my client and I have put our hopes in an investigation being conducted by the eminent criminologist, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Mr. Holmes has just arrived in court, together with his colleague, Dr. Watson, who has brought with him from Paris a witness whose evidence is vital to the defense. I respectfully beg your lordship's permission, and that of the prosecution, to allow Mr. Holmes to tell us what he has discovered. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> it is most irregular, Sir Aubrey, but the primary concern of this court is that justice be done. In view of Mr. Sherlock Holmes' distinguished record and many services to the law, I see no objection to granting your request. Thank you, my lord. I assure you that we would not have waited till so late in this trial to present our evidence had it not been for the fact that Dr. Watson has only at this moment arrived from Paris escorting a lady who is the final link in that chain of evidence. Proceed, Mr. Holmes. The late Augustus Fairmont, married to a woman more than 20 years his junior, was a man with a very great sense of possession. Whether or not he loved his wife, he was determined that no one else should have her. And when his wife freely and honestly confronted him with her admission that she loved another man, Fairmont could think of nothing but revenge. Hmm. I'm willing to allow you a fair amount of latitude, Mr. Holmes, but this seems to have no bearing on the case. With your lordship's permission, I hope to establish its bearing in just a moment. I have here in court Dr. McPherson, who conducted the post-mortem upon the late Mr. Fairmont. Dr. McPherson will testify that Augustus Fairmont was suffering from an incurable disease which would unquestionably have killed him within another year. Violet! Violence in the court. Also in court and ready to testify is Sir Edward Penrose of Harley Street, to whom Augustus Fairmont went for an opinion just a little more than six weeks ago. Sir Edward informed Fairmont, who had never before suspected the presence of this disease, that he would be lucky if he lived for six months and that there was nothing to be done. Now, Fairmont faced with the knowledge that he would die, probably painfully and lingeringly, within a few months at most. And the bitterness of this knowledge must have been increased a hundredfold by the realization that his death would remove the last barrier to the wedding of these two people who loved each other. Bravo, Holmes! Quiet in the court. Oh, sir. Then Augustus Fairmont evolved in his twisted mind a perfect plot. He would die, not lingeringly and painfully, but instantly. And in dying, he would make sure that Charles Rossiter, the man he hated, would be hanged for his murder. With his partner, Rossiter... With his partner, Rossiter, Fairmont sailed to Amsterdam. But when he had purchased some 10,000 pounds worth of diamonds, the thought crossed his mind of making a final provision for the woman whom, for many years, he'd been seeing in France. She's here now, due to Dr. Watson. And I will ask her to rise. <coughs> Mademoiselle Dufour, is it not true that Mr. Fairmont provided for you during the last six or seven years and that he visited you frequently during his trips to the continent? That is correct, Mr. Holmes. Now, will you please tell the court what you received in the mail from Mr. Fairmont the day after you read of his death? I received a package 
containing a small fortune in unset diamonds, together with a letter from August, saying that I would not hear from him again, that I should make no inquiries concerning him, and that these diamonds would provide me with sufficient funds for the rest of my life. Thank you very much, Mademoiselle Dubois. Quiet. Quiet in the courtroom. I think that will be all. Oh, magnificent, my dear. I'm so very, very proud of you. Well Augustus done. Fairland well, well provided for the woman with whom he had so long a friendship. He did this with a knowledge that he was to die that very night. On board the boat, he purposely entered into a noisy argument with young Rossiter, an argument which ended with a steward knocking on the door. A moment later, Rossiter returned to his own cabin and shut the communicating door. <coughs> the instant he had done so, Fairmont took from its place of concealment the revolver which, with studied malice, he had caused his wife to buy. This revolver Fairmont had previously prepared for what he was about to do by tying a stout string from its trigger guard to the heavy glass water bottle he had taken from his cabin wall. It was the work of but a moment, after Rossiter had closed the door, to suspend the heavy bottle outside the porthole which gave directly upon the sea. Then, Fairmont raised the revolver to his head and pulled the trigger. As he fell dead, the revolver released from his hand was pulled sharply up and out of the porthole by the heavy weight of the bottle. It hit the edge of the porthole, nicking the brass rim, and then disappeared forever into the depths of the North Sea. Order! This demonstration is stopped instantly. I shall have the courtroom cleared. My lad, in view of the evidence offered by Mr. Sherlock Holmes, the Crown withdraws its charge against Charles Rossiter. Oh, great work, Holmes. Great work. You brought it off, old man. I never could have, Watson, if you hadn't been persuasive enough to get Mademoiselle Dufour here oh, in time. you to say so, boy. Ah, look, look. Here comes Mrs. Fairmont. Oh, God bless you, Mr. Holmes. And you too, Dr. Watson. Oh, I, I've got to kiss you both. Oh, very nice. <laughs> my word. That's the nicest fee we've ever had. <laughs> now, friends, our guest star, one of the greatest authorities on feminine beauty, that king of glamour, John Robert Powers. And you know, Mr. Powers is famous for his million-dollar Powers models. Gorgeous girls you often see on magazine covers, in the movies, in exclusive fashion shows. Ladies and gentlemen, by special transcription, Mr. John Robert Powers. Good evening, friends. I have a little surprise for you this evening, as I brought along one of my most attractive Powers girls of all times, Ellen Allardyce. And perhaps we can get Ellen to tell us how she keeps her hair so bright and shining. Will you, Ellen? I owe all that to you, Mr. Powers. Do you remember how you told me to always wash my hair with cremel shampoo? I certainly do, Ellen. I tell all my Powers girls to use cremel shampoo. I'm thoroughly convinced that no other shampoo leaves the hair more radiant with such natural, brilliant luster. And cremel shampoo keeps it that way for days. What I like about cremel shampoo is that it never dries the hair. That's right, Ellen, because cremel shampoo has a built-in oil base. This oil base actually helps keep the hair from becoming dry and brittle. I know it. Cremel shampoo always leaves the hair so much silkier with a lovely natural satin sheen. And I love the way cremel shampoo whips up just lots and lots of luxuriant active foam, even in the hardest water. Ellen, 
I think every girl owes it to herself to try Cremel Shampoo. I feel certain she'll be in for one of the greatest beauty thrills of her life. Because without a doubt, in all my years spent in helping women become more attractive, I've never come across a more beautifying shampoo than Cremel Shampoo. Many, many thanks to you, Mr. Powers, and to your very lovely Powers model, Miss Ellen Allardyce. Now, Dr. Watson, what about next week? Well, now, let me see. Next week... Yes, next week, in answer to many requests, I think I shall tell you about the most gruesome and most horrifying experience that Holmes and I ever had. It concerns the frightening happenings at Stoke Moran, the home of Dr. Grimesby Roylet, and tells how Holmes solved the mystery of the death of one of Dr. Roylet's two daughters and prevented the murder of the other. I call it The Adventure of the Speckled Band. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, The Problem of Thor Bridge. Nigel Bruce appeared by permission of Universal International Pictures. Tom Conway through the courtesy of Eagle Lion Pictures. The Sherlock Holmes series is produced by Tom McKnight, with original music composed and conducted by Alex Steiner. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo. Inviting you to be with us next week at this same time. Dr. Watson will tell us about the adventure of the Speckled Band. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That concludes today's episode. We'd like to thank you and remind you to donate at choiceclassicradio.com. Remember, your donations make episodes like this possible.